Whatever It Takes is a podcast about just that. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get stuff done. Whether you're a filmmaker, painter, entrepreneur, music, whether you're a tech person, artist, this podcast is about people getting stuff done and doing whatever it takes to do just that. This podcast is co-hosted by filmmakers Lindy Bustead and Dan Thornton. Whatever Whatever it it takes takes to get the art done. I come from a narrative background. You, you come from, you've done narrative and documentary, Mm -hmm. but, um, where is the documentary community right now? What, what do you see it being, especially since you kind of like left and came back? Well, you know, I don't know numbers, but just being able to see Seattle, um, over the last 10 or so years, the amount of documentary, uh, films that are being produced here, um, and the scale of them has increased exponentially. Um, 10 years ago, I was the head of something called the Northwest Documentary Association, uh, which was uh, a precursor to the current SeaDoc uh, or Seattle Documentary Association. Um, and over that time, going from the Northwest Documentary Association to the SeaDoc uh, group, which is going gangbusters, they're doing amazing stuff. SeaDoc is just awesome. Um, I, I've just seen a proliferation of, of nonfiction story, motion picture storytelling. The opportunities to get your work out there, of course, are so much easier now mm-hmm. than 10 years ago when, when, when YouTube was just emerging. As we've seen the technological tools uh, available for, you know, distribution, independent distribution of films, there's just more people, you know, filling that void and, 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 and putting stuff on those channels. So we're growing. And we're growing, but I, I, think, I think probably documentaries face the same thing that narratives do is how do we make it sustainable and how do we make a living enough to make the projects and not put on all of our credit cards and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. what do you, what keeps you doing it? Like what, uh, what keeps you making films? I'll, I'll, you know, I, the, I have to have other sources of income. Um, I don't make money on my films, even films that have been successful. <laughs> they, I'm st- I, you know, I, 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 st- I lose money on them. Um, but that's the goal is to actually some, at some point to become, at least value neutral to, um, you know, to be able to sustain that. And there's other things that I get out of, um, uh, of being a filmmaker that are not necessarily, um, monetary gains, but no, there's, there's, there's debt, there's consumer debt. Um, and there's, you're always sort of scratching. You're always trying to get, you know, some opportunity, some purchase of, uh, of, of just to get funding your next shot. It's like, I just need to fund the next shot. I just need to fund the next, you know, interview. I just need to, to find the next, uh, you know, $100, $150 so I can pay a crew member for half a day or $200 or $300, you know. Um, I, but if I thought too much about the monetary returns, I wouldn't be doing it. I had to teach myself that years ago, which is like, I, I just, you can't think about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a dumb thing to do, to not think about the money. It flies against all the philosophy of like, you know, running a business and stuff like that. But, you know, if I add it all up before, and I do budgets and stuff, but if I really, really spend too much time thinking about that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't work. Well, and I don't know about you, but I know uh, with the democratization of the the equipment, mm-hmm. like anyone, you know, we have phones that can make something now. Uh, there's this pressure almost even more so to make more and just do it at all costs because everyone can. And so it, rather than, you know, I probably earlier where it was like only certain people had a video camera, mm-hmm. only certain people had the sound equipment, um, because it was expensive. And so it was a little more special that you were making a movie. Whereas now it's almost expected. Mm-hmm. 
Do you feel, do you feel that pressure? I definitely do. And I didn't really, I haven't thought about it in terms of the access to the equipment though. Uh, I think you're right. I think there's definitely a correlation between the, 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 the cheapness of the tools. Um, uh, the, the size of the tools have become more nimble and stuff. I, I have a, a whole documentary filmmaking kit that I can take on an airplane very easily and travel all over the world. And it's my entire quote unquote studios in that I think filmmakers just have to keep producing. Mm-hmm. all the time. Partially that's because of some of the other things that you've identified with changes in, in the industry and channels and, and, and democratization of the channels and the tools is that, but if it's too easy to be forgotten when people are just, you know, consuming so much yep. motion picture storytelling every day and not even aware of it. Well, and you don't have the luxury to just uh, have people think of you because of a certain film. You have to develop you as an artist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have to continue to create or else you're going to, yeah, be it's forgotten. It's the thousand hour rule. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in two things mm-hmm. when it comes to filmmaking. When I talk to my students, I'm a big believer in beginner's mind. People who don't know what they're doing, quote unquote, when they do something for the first time, more often than not come up with some like amazingly crazy fucked up awesome shit that they that like you would never imagine doing mm-hmm. but you only get that opportunity once the other thing i believe in and i think there's a balance in this continuum is that the thousand hour rule is like you get really good the more you do so why not do a lot and i try to tell my students like don't think perfect you know perfect is the enemy of good think done think finish think i'm going to draw a line under this um because the other opportunity now that we can produce stuff so quickly is like, you know, maybe in five years you'll come back to the same idea, the same story. Maybe you'll add on to it. You know, you can do that now. Mm-hmm. Though we're still sort of, I think, a little bit sometimes trapped in our own identities as filmmakers um, that once we do something, we can't come back to it or something. Well, Hollywood does it. Why the hell we can't oh, we do it? You know? <laughs> I, yeah, right. exactly. Right. And I think yeah. what by, I, I love the fact that you just said that. It's like, well, Hollywood does X, Y, and Z. Why don't we just do that or do something even better or weirder? Mm-hmm or more interesting or more independently spirited mm-hmm. from a Seattle perspective, you know? Um, but yeah, produce, keep producing. People will forget you if you don't. I don't like that temporal pressure, but I understand it. And it forces me to be more efficient, but it also forces me to keep working. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good segue to uh, talk about that you left Seattle mm-hmm. for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what took you away from Seattle? I... Um, was a Keesby Memorial Foundation scholar at the University of Edinburgh in 2012-2013. What does that mean? That means I, I got a I got a, a, an opportunity to study at the University of Edinburgh. Originally, I was going to go and I was going to study um, public financing for the arts in a cinema perspective for film in a devolved Scotland. And what that means is that Scotland, as part of the United Kingdom, um, is semi-independent. They have their own parliament. Uh, They have a great deal of um, discretionary uh, oversight over their funding. So it's a small nation. Um, And I really wanted to look to see how that functions because, you know, being in America, we, we don't have as many opportunities that some of our colleagues and peers in Europe and the United Kingdom have, or even in Canada, in terms of public financing for the arts. So I wanted to see how that works. And I wanted to take that information back to Seattle, because I think Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, um, we're kind of like a small, national, independent, national cinema movement. We mm-hmm. have, I think we have more in common with, with filmmakers in Norway than we do with filmmakers in L.A. to some degree, because of the way that we have to make films. And so I wanted to see that. Mm-hmm. And so I did study that, but then I had this other opportunity, which is that I ended up actually doing the bulk of my research work uh, on visual impairment in cinema, movies for blind people. Hmm. 
that seems like a contradictory statement. Movies for blind people. Yeah. It, it is. But I'll tell you, when you say that to people, people are like, what? Whoa. It's, a, it's an attention grabber as a statement. And, um, but it also is a, it, it is a real thing. People with various visual impairments go to the movies or they have gone to the movies or their families go to the movies or that they were fully sighted at some point and went to the movies and had a cinema habit and liked going to the theater. Uh, but then over time, due to whatever circumstances their, their eyesight has declined, uh, they still want to go to the theater to experience this and or watch DVDs, you know, um, in a social setting. What do you, what do you, how do you accommodate these people who, who like going to the movies and who have, you know, movie habits? And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how humans engage with aesthetic practice or aesthetic opportunities. Um, and I, I, it was a real privilege to work with a po in a population that I had no experience with before these people with significant visual impairment. And so it was an opportunity for me to really think about how I quote unquote see things, particularly as a, as a photographer and filmmaker. Um, and it was mind blowing. I talk about beginner's mind. I, I knew nothing about, like, or very little about both the, um, the medical and scientific um, phenomenon of, of visual impairment, the philosophical and aesthetic uh, work that's been done around people with visual impairment, um, the politics around disability and ability. All these things were like, I mean, piles and piles of... Um, of academic journals, articles on my desk and just like, and, 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 and pacing courtyards and, and with my brow furrowed and my, my, my hand on my head and just trying to think through some like really, really advanced stuff. So that was really, um, pretty incredible opportunity for me. Why do you think it's important for people to, to think about this population in, in making, why, why does it matter? I think, so I ended up producing um, I wrote a thesis, did a lot of research, and I ended up producing uh, an event at the Edinburgh International Film Festival where we had people who look at, uh, uh, who, who participate in the phenomenon of, uh, of, of, of film for um, visually impaired people. Um, one of the ways that we pitched that event within the festival was that, look, if you're a producer and you're uh, a director or you're a distributor, you have this potential audience out there that you're either losing or you'll never get. Is there an opportunity to look at actually cultivating an audience um, for people that you would not likely think would want to participate in motion picture storytelling, movie making, or, or that, both on the making of, and but really also the selling to. Um, and I think that's one of the answers to that question is that, look, we have a, you know, you're either losing a big part of this audience or you're, you're not going to get them to begin with. Um, so why not look at the opportunities? And very specifically at that event in my research, we talked about the phenomenon called audio description. And audio description is a part of filmmaking that exists with almost all feature films that are and television that are produced uh, above a certain budget level. That's a requirement in, in the United Kingdom, actually, that you provide audio description. What audio description is, it comes from theatrical experiences of, of providing audio commentary in theatrical settings for plays. So audio description is if you're visually impaired and you want to go to a play, um, you're given a special headset um, and uh, you can sit in the audience uh, without disturbing anybody else and have an audio describer live 
describe the, the, the theatrical experience in front of you, as well as you can hear what's actually happening on stage. But they'll give you a, a, a sort of visual uh, sort of play-by-play about what's happening in there. That moved very nicely over to film. But audio description in film happens almost with no participation from writers, directors, or producers. Whoa. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so all of a sudden you have a film that you've made and it's being audio described and that's being distributed with the print release for, for, for theatrical um, exhibition and or the DVD. But you had no say in how you're going to, uh, what, what, what's being audio described. Because think about if you give any given scene in any film that you love, you know, uh, the famous, you know, penultimate scene in Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. right? You know, how, how many different ways could you possibly describe what you're seeing on, on, on screen? Like a thousand different ways. Yeah. As a director, as a writer, wouldn't you want some agent? in that process? Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to describe the things. I want to describe what things we chose to show to help the mood or the emotional arc of the scene or, you know, that's what, which could. Do you use the first person? Do you use the third person? Yeah. Is the audio describer a character in the movie or are they not a character in the movie? And yeah. how about this? Are they a reliable describer? Yeah, my my mind's melting right now. Right. (laughs) And this is one of the great things that came out of the event. Audio description is an own literary form in and of itself. Mm -hmm. That's cinematic, but it's based on the sound of words that you listen to describing something. Almost every DVD that you own has an audio description track, but but not probably surprisingly, it's hard to find. And you can imagine if you're blind and you're trying to go through all those menus, how, how you find the audio description yeah. track. But, but most films are. And I remember the first time I did this, I did it with Slumdog Millionaire. And I listened to the, I watched the film with the audio description on it. I got to tell you, it was a radically different and incredibly enjoyable experience, even as a fully sighted person. Like I loved it was this whole dimension of the film. Hmm. Uh, but Danny Boyle had some agency in the audio description track. He, he, some directors know about this, and so they, they actually participate in this process. But it's a fraught process. You mm-hmm. know? It's, not in the, it's not in the script. It's not in the shooting script. It's not in the breakdown. We believe that there's actually also a type of filmmaking that can be done to accommodate audio description. If that's going to be our baseline, if we're thinking about movies for blind people, okay, so we just got to think immediately about audio description, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be things. So then what kind of films accommodate audio description? Rather than um, uh, a bolt-on technology at the end, it's a built-in technology yeah. in the future. And my pitch for filmmakers is like, think about all these interesting films you could potentially make. I do believe, without being trying to sound too hyperbolic, I do believe this is a new kind of cinema that's potentially available to that. But it's hard to get people to... And does the audio commentary... I mean, we can go down this rabbit hole. Uh, but sure. Does <laughs> the audio commentary, um, it's got to differ depending on if someone was born blind versus someone who lost their sight as an adult. You mean how they experience it? Yeah, because Absolutely. if someone if someone's never seen yeah. how what kind of commentary goes with that? You know, like how do you describe something to someone who's never even experienced? Well, and that's interesting because the phenomenon of audio description in its officially sanctioned form um, uh, you know, has existed in, in, in theater and in film for more than 40 years, going back to the 70s, if I remember correctly. But, you know, people, family members have been providing audio uh, commentary, yeah. uh, AD for, for, you know, family members. As long as there's been television and film out there, there's been people whispering like, oh, you know, he's closing the car door. 
yeah. there's something behind him. It's really scary. <laughs> you know, which may not be a good example of, of audio description, but it's been happening yeah. for a while. And yeah, I think that's one of the opportunities to explore is that when you think about the considerations of of where someone is on the, on the uh, visual impairment spectrum and the temporal spectrum, did they have sight? Do they have memory of sight? Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked with with many people with visual impairment to, as we developed this event and, and the work that I did. I think one of the things that I worry about when I talk about audio description or, or movies for visually impaired people is that it becomes an intimidatingly large challenge. But I encourage filmmakers and all creative people to look at it as like, this is a quote unquote blank canvas. Think about all the interesting stuff that you can do in this arena. Whatever It Takes is produced by Pete Ryan, Lindy Boosted, and yours truly, Dan Thornton. Recording and engineering by Gary Mula at the Bonnie Love Recording Studio in scenic Columbia City, Washington. Stay in touch. Give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know other things that you'd want us to talk about. We look forward to hearing from you.